fast, safe, and reliable. Interact eTransfer is one of the best ways to send, request, and receive money. In fact, Canadians use the service to complete 371 million transactions in 2018. That's nearly 11 times the population of Canada. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey everyone, it's Thursday, June 27th. I've got Shannon Proffitt of McLean's and David Reevely of the Canadian Press here with me in our Ottawa studio. Hi to you both. Hi. We are recording a day early as the long weekend is approaching, and I'm under the assumption that there might be more of you listening today versus tomorrow. Um, And it's also the last day of, of school. Yes. I hear so. Congrats to you. Congrats to your kids, but yeah. but mostly congrats to you guys. You know, lunches yeah, yeah. every day. That's you know. My lunches. My lunch game finished as strong as it began. There's <laughs> kiwi fruit. There's pitted cherries. <laughs> I still have to make lunches. Or like mine are going to day camp. Um, my oldest yeah, is going to yeah, day camp, so yeah. we've still got to suck up the lunches for the next two or three months. My youngest one graduated from the primary yard today. This oh, was his, and therefore my last. He moves on to the junior yard where the parents don't stick around. That's Ooh, that's pretty, big. Yep. That's okay. That's Here we go. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll, we'll, big news off the top here. China has halted all meat imports from Canada. This comes after Chinese customs agents found a, a restricted feed additive in a batch of pork shipments after inspection, which prompted an, uh, an across-the-board ban. This is a restricted additive in China, but not in Canada. In addition to this, China has come out saying many, like some 188 is what I've read, of the vet- veterinarian certificates of the animals were fraudulent. The Canadian government has formally come out responding, launching an investigation into the matter. The RCMP have been tasked with with getting involved and in, in figuring it out, what's going on here. International Trade Diversification Minister Jim Carr said uh, forged cer- for certificates are not unprecedented, but, uh, quote, rare. He later went on to say quote, somebody is trying to use the Canadian brand to move product into the Chinese market. So how does something like this get missed on the Canadian side? Or, or is that even just too much of a simplistic thing? To, like, is there more to the story than, than that? I, this is a, there is, there is a lot of complexity here, as, right. you're, as you're suggesting. I mean, what Carr is sort of implying is that we're not even sure that the pork in question originated in Canada. That I might think they've overtly said that, that they think it originated somewhere, somewhere else, else. And something yeah. fake was slapped on it. There is a veterinary certificate that says this stuff is good for the Chinese market and that it comes from Canada. And China detected, their inspectors detected this this additive that you are, has some uses in Canadian agriculture, but not in, not allowed in China and it's banned in some other places. And they said, what is this? garbage you're sending us uh and canada said well show us i mean what is it yeah, what's what are you the talking proof about? Yeah. and they handed over the the certificate on this on this stuff and canada said that's that's not a legit certificate the question one question is is this actually canadian product that was contaminated as far as the chinese are concerned mm. that was stamped as being good for china right. or was this not canadian pork at all that was fraudulently stamped as Canadian and somewhere other country legit, and then- that came from God knows where there is. So th- what there is no disagreement on, at least between Canada and China is that there is pork that has rectopamine in it, uh, that is stamped as having been certified by Canadian authorities, mm. but who ripped them off is not at all clear. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean there's a loophole in the Canadian side because we don't even know if it went in 
to this certificate It does not necessarily mean that, no. Uh, But China is using this to say, given that we believe, China believes that the port came from Canada and is contaminated, but was stamped uh, according to the certificate, as being good by Canadian uh, authorities, by mm-hmm. Canadian standards, then we don't trust the Canadian meat inspection system. And so we are uh, going to be... The language on this is actually a little bit mm-hmm. difficult to interpret. Um, and a, part of it, I think, is deliberate ambiguity. And part of it is just a straight-up language barrier based on a mm-hmm. kind of iffy translation from... I mean, based on words that come from the Chinese embassy here in Ottawa, ba- from Chinese authorities. It's not entirely clear whether they are banning Canadian meat or just asking Canada to not put sort of approved stickers on stuff that's coming uh, from Canada. Metaphorical stickers, not literal stickers. But the implication is that China does not want Canadian meat anymore until, in China's opinion, Canada has its act together. And it's interesting to me that they've applied this ban on all meats when it was a pork shipment. The implication is, uh, as far as the Chinese are concerned, that the Canadian meat inspection system is just faulty. Is is fa- yeah faulty, and until the fault is fixed, they don't want any of the other <sighs> stuff. Okay, um, so it's hard um, not to link the issue, uh, the ongoing arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou, and in China's repeated call for her release, um, and, and we know that there has been tension between China and Canada for quite some time, trade issues. Pork was, we were just talking about this a few weeks ago. Yeah, there's the canola shipments that were said to have sort of some non-specific kind of pest in them. And I think the line at the time from the Canadian government over and over was show us the science. So um, they're understandably and rationally enough being a bit delicate about it. But I think the sort of implication there was that that was perhaps a spurious claim or at least one that needed a little more info. Yeah, so this, this comes... It may not be connected. We don't know that yet, but it arrives in the context of sort of an ever escalating kind of trade back and forth with China um, or maybe just a back rather than a forth Mm -hmm. because it's sort of one sided. And um, the strong suspicion would be that it's all connected to Meng Wanzhou. Of course, China often is at pains to say no, that these are isolated things, but they sort of. All, all appear to hang together, that it appears right. to be this campaign of sort of pressure and and turning the screws and kind of pushing and pushing and pushing. Because we also, this also comes against last week, the statement from um, one of the Chinese foreign ministry saying, basically, this is all about Canada. This is Canada's problem. It's not the U.S.'s problem. They know what they did. They know what they need to do to fix it, which obviously means let, let Meng Wanzhou go, go free. Um, but Canada is stuck because mm-hmm. we have an extradition treaty with the U.S. Yeah. That's why she has been detained. It's going to take years for that process to play out. We have two Canadians, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, in detention, another two on That's, death row. Yeah. And the whole thing is just a bit of a bear trap for Canada. Now, um, it could be moving this weekend with everybody in Osaka at the G20, but right now it looks pretty intractable. It looks pretty... Yeah, and it is, it, as as Shannon's saying, it, it, it is kind of difficult to read because you have China saying, oh no, these things are not related to yes. the Meng Wanzhou case. And Canada has an interest in leaving open the possibility that these things have nothing to do with the Meng Wanzhou case as well because right. they don't want to escalate the whole thing and, and really play into... Um, the mm. notion that the only way out uh, right. of these multi-billion dollar trade disputes and everything else is to uh, let Meng Wanzhou go, which right. if it cared to, the government could do, or the you know the, the, the ministers involved, the justice minister, the immigration minister, the prime minister, the cabinet could 
has certain authorities, but it would not ordinarily exercise them. Um, So there, there is sort of a role for ministers to play in this, but at this point, generally... In, in such a proceeding, the role of ministers is to stay out while the judges right. handle prompt. things. Especially yeah. so. because Canada's number one line on all yes. of this from the beginning has been Canada is a rule of law country. This is a judicial process, not a political one. That has been yeah. the go-to bottom line yeah. in all of their communications publicly and presumably to some degree privately. Um, that has gotten a bit bungled at times. This case, this whole thing kind of feels to me like if everyone would just stop talking, things wouldn't Mm. get worse. And then you had Donald Trump, of course, openly speculating on using Monjo as as a bargaining chip. So you have this kind of very awkward public thing where Canada, Canadian federal officials have been walking a very tight rhetorical line for exactly the reasons David's laying out. And then you have all of these peanut gallery members who kind of keep jawing away and muddying the waters. Um, and so kind of the, the backdrop going into the G20 has been Canada trying very much to locate itself in this dispute with China within the wider international community. Yes. They keep talking yeah. about the allies they're lining up on side and trying to make this basically a, this time it's us, next time it could be anyone else. Right. Thing. Whereas China keeps trying to kind of split Canada off from the herd and say, no, no, this is about you guys, yeah. it's not about anyone else. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's this sort of rhetorical war of is this or is this not China against the world or is this a specific um, dispute between two nations. And they've actually gotten quite a few countries to kind of come on side with, or Canada has gotten quite a few countries to come on side with them. But it'll be interesting to see... Because Trudeau doesn't have a formal meeting with the Chinese president. The Chinese don't seem particularly interested in talking to Canadians right now very overtly. Right. Um, They won't take calls from Christian Freeland. They won't have a meeting. So Donald Trump has sort of become our proxy emissary, which is an interesting situation to be in (laughs) um, if he's your carrier pigeon. Yeah, because obviously when we were talking last week about the the meeting in in Washington and that he said he would, you know, put Canada first and make it a priority to talk about it. But who knows if that will happen? Interestingly, I did hear on The National last night, so that the uh, countries are, are organized by um, alphabetically, right? So Canada and China do. Uh, we'll get <laughs> some, some face time. Mm. They got to sit beside each other in the cafeteria yeah. while they're fighting. Hey. It's great. It's good human theater, right? Eh? <laughs> it actually is. I mean, I think no matter what, this, it's not. I shouldn't be glib about it. This no. is an awful, it's, it's awful terrible. situation. And, there, and, and no matter what, word. like if we think about the damage that if we bring it back right down to the the people that are affected by this, this is, um, you know, six seven months now. Yeah, two yeah. men up to about one hundred ninety days. Just like just unheard of, like just in a black hole somewhere. One month, one visit a month approximately from a Canadian consular official who can convey messages back and forth. But as far as we know, they've had no access to lawyers. They were detained first. They've now been formally arrested. What the cases are against them, not clear, not clear to them. Whether they have representation, not clear to them. What circumstances they're living in, not clear to us. Uh, It's... Yeah, and how long they might be there, what and what might get them out, other than Canada totally capitulating. Yeah, which for for complex, heavy reasons, it. it, I I don't want to say it cannot do. I'm not a foreign policy expert, but there's a lot of freighted stuff that comes to bear Mm -hmm. here. That there is just not an easy way out for Canada. I mean, I guess the easiest path would be for the U.S. to go. You know what? We don't really want her arrested after all. Just let her go. But right, um, they they're so far. I don't. That wasn't even a topic of conversation between Trudeau and Trump last week. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of our only. Um, get her out of jail free card. I suppose. And then there's the Iranian element. Like it's just it's it's crazy, and but I think too. I mean, it, it does raise the point again that Canada needs to diversify its trade portfolio. I mean, like something I think like twenty percent of our our um, of our Canadian port, port goes to 
China. So again, thinking about other markets, Southeast Asia, Japan, whatever it is, like diversifying that. Yeah. More. At the same time, China is a gigantic market. That's yeah. part of the reason why they've got you know over a billion people, and they eat, and mm-hmm. so that's why we send stuff. Yeah. There. No, so. for sure. The Canadian military's uh, former second-in-command, Vice Admiral Mark Norman, announced his retirement yesterday from the Canadian Armed Forces. Norman has been embroiled in a legal battle with the federal government over accusations of leaked cabinet secrets, but the case was stayed by Crown prosecutors in May, stating there was no longer sufficient ground to prosecute. Norman served for 38 years in the military. It was expected that he would return to his post, or at least that he was... um, that he was hoping to, uh, hoping to. He had expressed that he was hoping yeah, to go back. He wanted to go back to work. So Although the defense minister had said right off the hop, Harjit Sajjan said, not going to happen because there was someone in that specific yeah. post that right. they weren't interested in bumping. So there was kind of this, this strange question of something at a comparable level, but not that job. Yeah, like it, it and in, as so it comes as a bit of a surprise, but as you were saying, David, uh, off air, you know, there aren't, many jobs when you get high up in the ranks of any any industry but in the military per se yeah i mean he's he's it was announced that he's going to retire um possibly has retired the language is a bit ambiguous but he's he's out with a settlement that we can i think reasonably assume is substantial because he was the number two in the military uh and there is no other job at that rank and Hmm. it was filled while he was suspended and on trial uh there's the chief of the defense staff, the vice chief of the defense staff, and then, you know, at the one level down, there are a few other jobs, but for him, it would effectively have been a demotion. He was previously commander of the Royal Canadian Navy, so that right. that was the job he had. Then he was promoted. <laughs> it's not like there are jobs washing around no. at the very apex of the Canadian forces, it's, and they couldn't find anything for him. It's a sour way to end a 38-year career. God damn it, that's tough. Well, and everything that came before it was pretty souring, too. I think there were even some questions about were there even an appropriate position for him? Would it be too toxic or too loaded? Would it be too difficult for him? I mean, David Poglesi mm-hmm. did an amazing piece mm-hmm. for Post Media. Mm-hmm. Insofar as Mark Norman could talk, because there are, there are a lot of limits on what he can say right. based on Canadian military law, um, the story is quite hair-raising of the way things played yes. out behind the scenes. So I, I think there were some questions even about how comfortable it would be for him to go back, how comfortable mm-hmm. other well, people would be with him coming back. Like there were sort of, to it. some degree, sort of workplace dynamic issues in I addition wanted, to the hierarchy issues David's highlighted. I wanted to ask that. Like, it, was there a worry? Like, would they have, this is all speculation, but like, would the federal government offer some sort of package in the hope that he wouldn't go back to his post and, I don't know, there be things revealed. I mean, I guess he can't say much still, regardless, because of his the court proceeding. But and the 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 speculation has been: will will he sue over his treatment? Um, he said the day the charges were stayed against him that he has a story to tell and he yeah. wants to tell it. Can he tell that story now? Um, Maybe. I mean, the, the terms of the settlement are so secret that we're not even uh, aware at this point. I mean, this the Canadian press is working on that, but we <laughs> we we don't know at this point as we're mm-hmm. talking whether he's going to have a lifetime gag order on talking about some of the things that he couldn't talk about before. In, in employment law, uh, I mean, there are circumstances where – 
you know, someone is fired and they go to arbitration or they sue. And it's determined that their dismissal was illegal. Um, but in the meantime, the relationship has gotten so ruptured that they can't return. And generally speaking, what happens then is they get a big fat package um, to go away because they were mistreated and yeah, now they sure. have to be made whole, yeah. having lost the whole remains of their career. And this is a guy who was talked about as the future chief of the defense staff. Um, he was the number two, so yeah. it would not have been no. that big a leap. Um, and I think it would be now. hard to disentangle too, especially because we don't know anything about it, how much the package was about um, – your 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 employment was effectively torpedoed and how much was about and we should compensate you for all of your legal costs mm. for your you know yeah, your, your suffering your stress like it, it, there was a whole kind of package of questions about what he was owed when all of this abruptly came to an end right. and because the terms of the settlement are so secretive um at least at this point there's no way to know what parts of those you know, unfortunate circumstances were being addressed here. Yeah. And, and yeah, wasn't there, wasn't, hadn't it come out that the federal government wouldn't pay for his legal fees? No, Harjit Sajjan, I believe it was Sajjan, said on the day of, no, we'll be covering oh, his legal oh, okay, fees. Oh, okay, okay. And which surprised both Norman and his lawyer, okay. Marie Hennon, who presumably is not cheap. Right. Um, and was not his only lawyer either. He had a team. Uh, but yeah. they, they did say they would cover his legal bills. So that is distinct from... Right. Now, is, is, is sheer... Ha, ha, well, one, I know that Andrew Shear previously had said, uh, you know, that he wanted Trudeau to come out and apologize, right? That was his, it was his remarks afterwards. Has he done that? No. They had a motion in the House that was a conservative motion put forward to apologize to him, and everyone voted, not everyone, like, I'm not saying it was unanimous, right. but everyone that motion was, was voted in favor of, but Trudeau and Sajjan were absent from the House right. when that yes. vote went through, and yes. that's not the same thing as the government apologizing to him. It's just a statement from the House right. of sort of goodwill and, and expression of sentiment yes. and again yeah. we i think we talked about this too like an apology would insinuate potentially something that it was it was not done right um yeah that is the nature of an apology yes right we screwed up we, we screwed did up. wrong yeah which is a big thing for a government to say yeah those can as we know take years decades sometimes yes. depending on the circumstances okay Next up, the first of two Democratic presidential primary debates kicked off last night in Miami. Ten candidates fought it out, among them Senator Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, who's a former Texas representative. Is that yeah. fair? Okay. Ran for the Senate. Ran lost. for the Senate, lost against Ted Cruz. Yeah, okay. Senator Cory Booker and uh, NYC Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio. So notably, there were, I thought this was interesting, three women on stage last night, doubling the number of Democratic women who have ever participated in a in one of these debates. Sounds as though Elizabeth Warren swept for the most part. She had the the sort of strongest, uh, most substantial policy platform with 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 her focus on you know income equality and healthcare. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean I, I think the consensus has been all along. People know that what Elizabeth Warren is is a wonk. She loves right. she loves policy, she loves nuance, she comes from an academic background. So I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't have expected her to have mastery of her files here, where I thought she really shone, particularly in the second half of the debate, and and I think maybe might have answered some outstanding questions about her running and continuing, is um, I thought she showed a really effective emotive side on on, on the campaign trail. I mean, insofar hmm. as these were very little slices of, of, of chatter, there were too many people on that stage, and I wanted an old tiny hook to come out of the wings and right. steal a few of them off so we could hear more from the ones who realistically yeah. stand a chance. But she, I thought she had a, a really great combination of, of, of nuanced policy and um, this kind of tack to the left that the Democratic Party seems to be sort of heading into in, in 2020, right. she was kind of the mascot of that yeah. and managed to really marshal, I thought, some very effective 
an authentic seeming emotion behind it, connected it to her personal story yeah. and her closing statement. And so I think kind of might have answered some questions about her efficacy as a candidate. But I wonder how she would compare if she was up there, because Bernie's tonight, right? The, yeah. The, 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 this is, yeah, but, they're part two with the other half of the yeah, field. But the other half, half which is, I, there's 20. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, and I agree. I just got to say something on that format. There's 10 people up on stage. I mean, and you have 60 seconds to respond. <laughs> like, that is a lot of people. Yeah. You could barely... But I mean, like, what can they do? These people have all thrown their hat in. You can't just arbitrarily tell the the also-rans that they can't be on the debate stage. So this is where they're at until people start dropping. And they did set a standard, actually. There were, I think there were some declared Democratic candidates who who did not make the cut. They had to have at least 1% support in in a handful of polls. They had to have raised a certain amount of money. They had to be, like, um, they they did set limits. Some of them didn't make it. Big net. Yeah. The, Huge net. the bar was still relatively and, low. And, and Warren got most of the questions at the top. Is Yeah, and she was sort of had a bit of a quiet period through the middle. I, I, again, the format is really difficult. Yeah. There wasn't even a ton of, of back and forth and kind of fisticuffs because it was so sort of weighted down with how many people were speaking. But yeah, a, bu- the, the, a bunch of the questions off the top almost seemed to be directly like, drawn from Elizabeth Warren's right. platforms and right. plans mm-hmm. and was asking other people to, to respond to them or sort of advance their own arguments right. in the same areas. And I'm, the draw... I, as I understand it, was random uh, for who was in last night's versus tonight's. Oh, is, oh okay, so they yeah. wouldn't have placed but Bernie. No. The, it yeah, wasn't deliberate. Was, yeah, was but the effect was that Warren was the only kind of tier one candidate in yesterday's debate. Right. And there, there are others who are impressive, but they're not polling at the same level as right. Warren, Biden, and Sanders, who are kind of at the very top. I think it was an opportunity for some of the uh, the tier two and potentially tier three candidates to to shine and have people yeah. who are interested in the Democratic nomination go, oh, you know, that, this and is a name I know. Did. I thought uh, Cory Booker was very I strong. I thought he was very I strong. Thought, and and I'm the, the one that people are talking about is Julian Castro, yes. who's a, a Texas politician who was up against Beto O'Rourke. Oh, my goodness, um, yeah. And, you know, they're kind of two Texas Democrats. And Castro, it appeared, set out to really deliver, you know, <laughs> blows to the head to yes. O'Rourke. Well, it, and seems to have done so fairly effectively. And it's it's stuff we've heard before, right? That Beto's a little, he, he's he's engaging, he's inspiring, he's got that sort of Obama effect. But he's, I thought he was thoroughly underwhelmed yes, last night. And, I, and, and, and I'm trying to separate that from expectations. And maybe that format doesn't suit him. I didn't think he was a, a very visible or striking no. presence in any way. Um, I mean, you're right that Castro was taking a direct run at him, and, and Castro actually really effectively controlled one whole section of the debate when they were talking about immigration. Mm. He sort of succeeded in getting the rest of the field to respond directly. Like He's the only guy who's come out with a full immigration platform so far. That's sort of been his area of focus, and he controlled a whole section of the debate where he forced everyone else to respond to a central but kind of nuanced piece of his platform, which is getting rid of this thing known as Section 1325, which, and and so then everyone debated the Mm -hmm. principle of, should crossing the border illegally be a criminal issue or civil? And and this is his proposal, that if you were to make it a civil issue... As it used to be. As it used to be, you would no longer have any premise for separating parents from kids or putting people in detention camps because it's no longer a criminal matter. And so there was this kind of really neat, like, 10 or 15 minute passage hmm. where he kind of set the terms and everyone sort of danced to his tune. Um, it was also pretty funny to see Cory Booker's <laughs> facial expression yeah. when he started speaking Oh no, he's speaking Spanish. Spanish. That was going to be my he trick. Was, he was like, 
Oh, God. <laughs> daggers firing yeah. across the stage. I was going to speak yeah, Spanish. Damn it. And, I, and he did again later. I mean, he that, did later. not a native Spanish speaker, but was clearly re. I mean, Telemundo was one of the sponsors of the debate, so they knew they would have right. a large Miami crowd. Spanish speaking right. audience, yeah. yeah. Um, Trump also weighed in, tweeting boring. Again. During the time when they were discussing um, the father and his toddler daughter found mm-hmm. face down in a river, so you could have picked a less. Uh, morally unfortunate moment, perhaps, to tweet boring. Maybe you could have oh just had God. someone in your office tell you to wait yeah. 10 minutes. The but new, the new, uh, who knows? So the we new suspect Sarah that Sanders. Trump runs his tweets past people. No, that's true. I, I'm saying someone in his office should stand next to him, look over <laughs> no, his always. shoulder, and throw his phone Parental in the toilet supervision. if they need to. Come on. Who is, uh, yeah, yeah, anyway. So, he, so, although Trump notably was not a big figure last night. He really wasn't. Yeah. Like, he was obviously mentioned glancingly. Right. I thought mostly invoked insofar as, look, all of us up on this stage are duking it out, but really, any one of us would be fine as right. long as we can get rid of him. Like, he wasn't really the starring that, bogeyman of yeah. the night. It felt to me like... If you are saying, where does the Democratic Party go from here? Can it be effective? Can it be appealing? Can it speak to people somehow plucking similar strings to what Trump did? I thought last night was a pretty good demonstration of that. They are tacking pretty notably to the left, Elizabeth Warren in particular, but then everyone else kind of followed her lead, is speaking very explicitly to this economy is not working for most people and we need to fix that. Like there is wholesale problems here that we need to burn it all down and build it back up. That seems to me an effective message for the same kind of populism and feeling of siege that Trump was speaking to in 2016. So I thought it was a, a fairly advantageous demonstration of where the Democrats might be going. Yeah, I, I think that is, that's kind of what I, I want to get into. Like, a, again, these kind of debates from a party perspective, the question becomes who can stand up next to Trump and, and, and take him down, who can match him, who can um, turn him, who can break him. But the Daily, the New York Times, the Daily podcast was really interesting this week about predicting sort of what's going to happen in the Democratic debates. And um, there's these two trains of thought. Either you go with someone who's like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, who's going to be the same kind of vision as Trump, but on the progressive side, like let's tear up the system. Or you go with someone who's a bit more secure and stable and you can, uh, and who wants to work within the system and who knows Washington, but just is going to be there to provide stability like a Joe Biden or something. And who already knows the players. Yeah, and, let's get things back to normal. Yes, let's just go back to normal. Let's just go back to, to, to like zero. So um, it, it, yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, parent, like how how will they choose to go? Do you do you go with someone who's very left, or do you kind of go with someone who's middle ground? I mean, I think what we've seen generally from Democrats is a uh, uh, an impulse to go harder to the left, yeah. and more to the burn it down side. Yeah, you know, the the way the Alexandria Ocasio Cortez yes. has taken that party by storm, right. the way you know Elizabeth Warren has has yeah. come on very strong, but there is kind of a a fight for the soul of the Democratic Party. Like, yeah. Is this... And I think it's not just how do we take Trump down, although strategically that's obviously the key question. It's There are a lot of very frustrated yeah. Democrats mm-hmm. for a long time yeah. saying, no matter who we elect, we seem to always get essentially the same policies, yeah. the same kind right. of neoliberal, free trade, um, yeah. you know, let's not do anything oh. too harsh, let's, right. you know, oh, we can't seem to do gun control, we can't seem to get major um, healthcare reform, at least not yeah. in a durable way. And that but I guess, frustrates a significant wing of the party. But I guess Biden's argument would be, well, I actually can, like, these people come in, they won't get any progress 
made with with Republicans. I kind of know these people. I kind of can work with them. And so you could see how it plays into both yeah. sides. I don't know. I think that assumes facts, not in evidence. Yeah. If you want to take seriously the the rage and fear or bigotry and resentment, depending on how you want to view it, that led to Trump getting elected, and I think it would be worth taking seriously whatever that current is, I personally think attack pretty hard to the left speaks to that much more than a, you know what, an establishment candidate in a suit, let's just put it in neutral and go back to normal. I just think if there's an actual deep well of anxiety and rage and a feeling that people are getting screwed over, which I think there is, and we see it in Canada too, if that is a real thing, you have to have a real way to speak to that. And that's where I think the, 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 the turn to the left is much more effective and also much more honest. It's not telling people things are fine. We just need to tweak. And you heard it on that debate stage last night in a way that I actually found Mm. like as a Canadian, quite kind of refreshing and fascinating to hear in the U S to hear the system is rigged. You're Hmm. right. Like you're mm-hmm. right. The system is rigged, but our solution isn't. And I actually thought one of the smaller moments that leaped out at me in the debate was when they were talking about the nuts and bolts of immigration policy. Bill de Blasio kind of jumped in and said, but what we need to remember is when we're talking about immigration, if you're someone who doesn't have a good job, that an immigrant didn't do that to you. If you feel like the world is not going your way, an immigrant didn't do that to you. Like he kind of zoomed up That's to 30,000 feet and started talking mm-hmm. about the meta aspects of what is what could be a very nuanced, like nuts and bolts policy. And and so some of what I heard on the stage last night addressed that much more honestly and straightforwardly in a way that I could see being yeah. productive and cathartic and huh. I hate to be cheesy, but positive rather than negative. Yeah, that's... Well, the next group of 10 will take the stage tonight, which mm-hmm. includes Senator Kamala Harris, former Vice President Joe Biden, and Senator Bernie Sanders. That's all for us. Twitter handles, please. I am at S. Proudfoot. And I am at David Reefley. And I am at Turnbull Sarah. Have a great long weekend. For Canadians, paying with Interact Debit is synonymous with access to your own money. In 2018, Canadians made over 6 billion Interact Debit transactions, the equivalent of 160 per person. Interact Debit is accepted at nearly 500,000 businesses across Canada and growing. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.